morning, good morning. Let me set my clock to make sure I don't go over the two and a half hour limit. Hey, I don't get to preach that often, so when you have a few months to prepare a sermon, it gets to be about five hours of information, and it's hard, it's hard. I am excited this morning to bring one of my favorite passages to you. It was one of the first uh, verses I memorized as a new believer 47 years ago. I've always loved this very familiar passage. And my prayer is that you too will see with fresh eyes what God has to say from Romans 12 today. And it's providential and unplanned that this message comes right after the messages about elders and deacons. This is that same message, but it's on how it applies to all of us. It's a glorious passage about the route to life. The Old Testament reading was Exodus 33 this morning, where Moses asks to see God's glory. And God says, I'm going to let my goodness pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name Yahweh. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. He, in essence, equates his goodness, name, graciousness, with his glory. When you experience one, you experience them all. And Paul tethers the glory and goodness of God in our passage with the mercy of God. We see that when we back up a few verses to the end of chapter 11 and read that incredible doxology ending his brilliant treatise on faith in his letter to the Roman church. So, young disciples, little worshipers, when I'm speaking of sacrifice, I want you to think about what that looks like. And then, think about what is a living sacrifice. Okay? Let's get started. Romans 11.30. This is the word of the Lord. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
This is the gospel given to Moses and given to Paul and given to the church at Rome. As well, it is given to the church of all ages and therefore even given to us this morning. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Mighty God, your word is living and powerful. Powerful enough to change hearts like ours. So we would ask that you do that even this morning. And if you do, we'll live as sacrifices to you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Therefore, he starts out this section of chapter 12 with therefore. Because of what comes before, we should take heed. Therefore is the connection between one section and the other. Therefore, by the mercies of God, he takes us into this section of his letter because of all the chapters previously. Romans chapters 3 through 11 could actually be titled, The Mercies of God. So, let's travel through all those chapters quickly. And tease out that mercy, shall we? And by the way, mercy, it just means that we're now allowed in on something that we weren't allowed previously. So starting in chapter 3, we see that no one is righteous. All have fallen short of God's glory. God gave faith as his way to himself, as Christ died for the ungodly. Because we were dead in sin since Adam, we were therefore slaves to sin and death. But the free gift of eternal life is through Jesus. And that law, it mercifully leads us to the Savior. Because we continue to do what we shouldn't, but there is now no condemnation in Christ. So we groan now while God works for our good through his fulfillment of the requirements of the law, which benefits us through walking in the Spirit. We have mercy to conform to the image of Christ, the people of God founded and formed in God's grace. Here the mercy of God is foregrounded, as nothing can separate us from his love. He has chosen us, after all, and many others to follow. We are grafted into the family. And then he culminates because of all that mercy, exclaiming, praise God. Can't you just see Paul getting to the end of chapter 11, jumping up, throwing his quills in the air and shouting, to him and by him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He has just finished expounding his grand understanding on how God mercifully deals with his people by faith. It started in chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul has gone on now for countless pages on how God, in his mercy, draws and delivers his people through that faith, and here he gets into the, okay, now what, part. 
So what is the mercy accomplishing for us? What's the point of all of that? Mercy does. Mercy has to act. God's mercy reaches out and moves toward his people. He delights in showing mercy. It has impact. In the words of our own Joe Minnick, quote, A human life is a theater of the mercy of God. His tale of persuading us to trust him through the precise textures of a life cycle. All human lives are lives of God's calling in all of his revelation and in your own unfolding story, end quote. Mercy brings shalom. You see, we have all been designed with the desire to experience shalom. Alex talked about this beautifully in his Easter sermon. As he equated shalom with wholeness and completeness, and called it the great hope of the Christian story. I see it as peace and safety. Internal peace and external safety. We are embodied souls. And because of that design, we yearn for and are compelled to find shalom. But because of sin, we now demand it in our own way and in our own timing. Essentially, we attempt to find it manipulatively through our own control. And we attempt to find it immediately through instant gratification. That's our timing. That pretty much sums up the sin nature, doesn't it? Peace and safety. But, while, but Scripture has said, while people are saying, there is peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. While God wants to give shalom, he can't allow us to get it our own way and in our own timing, which is peace that the world gives. It's only provided as a fruit of the Spirit that doesn't come through manipulative means or self-indulgence. But he will let us in on it. He's merciful that way. To live for his glory is to live in his mercy. Show me your glory is to be under his mercy where he lets us in on shalom. Not so much by what we do, but by what he's already done. Later in this passage, Paul talks about not being conformed to this world. The word conformed is the word schemata and connotes being squeezed into a mold from the outside in. He's telling us not to do things in order to be someone. He's saying, don't try to change internally by external means. That's antithetical to mercy, which is allowing us to change internally. More on that momentarily. 
Now, sacrifice for God. He then says that by those mercies, he wants us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That word bodies means our physical bodies. We are embodied souls made up of categories like emotions and wills and thoughts, the heart. All of these buttress the fact that we are relational beings. Our bodies are being called on for sacrifice. You have been bought with a price, Paul says elsewhere. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Mercy now moves us from have to to get to. We now get to live sacrificially. We get to live on the altar, that place of mercy. We get to live consistently with our original design. So what is sacrifice? How do we die as a sacrifice and keep on living? Well, let's break it down. We sacrifice from, to, and for something. From. We sacrifice from our former demands for shalom. What used to fill us and form us is now mercifully dead to us. And while we are living, we are dead to the demands of finding life in our way and in our timing. We choose to be empty of that filling, whatever gave us life, instead of Christ. It's shown by Paul in his letter to the Philippians where it says in chapter 2, have this mind in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he was in the form of God, did not equate equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of his servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is called the doctrine of kenosis, where Christ emptied himself of his right to grasp his rightful glory by sacrificing himself. By God's mercy, we now get to have the same mindset or attitude we get to live naked and exposed without pretense. While we may desire much, we are being set free to demand little. We, now in Christ, do not grasp our own glory. We are letting go of that which we used to worship. In other words, we die to our perceived rights to get what we want when we want it in exchange for loving, serving, and giving to others. We become quite heavily laden to fill up with that which isn't from the Lord's hands. It's his mercy that's letting us open our tight fists, which can't open otherwise. He's letting us be sacrificial 
consistent with our original design to be givers as it's better to give than to receive. To be loving is actually that easy yoke that Jesus talks about in Matthew 11. When our worship informs our work, it makes our burden light and our yoke easy. So what do we get to sacrifice? Where do we give up our lives? We get to sacrifice our whole messy, broken selves. We get to die to our idolatry in our love for others. We get to be open, vulnerable, and transparent for others' sake. And that will feel like death. We get to die to ourselves to find life in him. So the route to life is death. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, the peace of shalom, is now possible. The shalom we're looking for is found when we give up our right to find it in our way and in our timing. Jesus told us that those who seek to save their life, which is the word psyche or soul, will lose it, but they who lose their life for his sake will find it. So we get to sacrifice our self-induced, self-established shalom, our comfort, our conveniences. Then they will know us by our fruit, after all, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we refuse to sacrifice bearing fruit, love remains lust. Joy remains fickle happiness. Peace remains shallow relief. Patience remains toe-tapping, white-knuckling. Kindness remains superficial niceness. Goodness remains pleasantry. Faithfulness remains self-justification. Gentleness remains kid gloves. And self-control remains micromanagement. We get to sacrifice our individualism by being part of Christ's body. Whether home group, sold, Bible study, fellowship, a book group, or discipleship group, it's not about some programmatic busyness. We don't play that, as you know. It's about communal interdependency. And they will know we are disciples by our love. We get to sacrifice for others' sake, to belong to others. And we actually, in our deepest selves, want to live sacrificially, the way we were designed and defined to be. 
You know the thing I love the most about New St. Peter's? Y'all are a mess. And in your messiness, you sacrificially provide a safe place for messes like us, like me, to flourish. And I love you for that. We're at home here. We went to a lot of places that let us know in no uncertain terms we didn't fit in before coming here almost 20 years ago. So thank you for letting us join in to this island of misfit toys. Now, worship to God. The teleos, or end purpose of our sacrifice, is God's glory. He calls it here spiritual worship. The word spiritual comes from the word logikos, where we get the word logical. It is logic working through the divine reasoning known as faith. Logical. In other words, it just makes sense that we would sacrifice by his mercy as worship. It's an internal pressing of God's worth that creates an external service to others to his glory. He explains, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Here we have two combating categories of change, external and internal. The words are schemata and metamorphoso, or molds and metamorphosis. Either we get squeezed into the world's mold by what we do or transformed by the renewing of our minds from the inside out. Want to see the consequences of being squeezed into the world's mold? Go back to Romans 1 and look at the threefold decline of humanity through idolatry, immorality, and individualism. God gave them over to their molds, to their shame. But in our stories, when we grow up feeling like we have nothing to offer, that shame, God in his mercy takes that and redeems it so that we do have something to offer, to lay down on that altar and to give him the glory. That's Paul's better idea. By renewing the mind, we are transformed. It means more than intellectual assent. It embraces the idea of consciousness. Again, he's taking us back to Romans 1, where he declares that humanity has become futile in their speculations, left brain, and their foolish hearts were darkened, right brain. Both educational and existential the whole mind and heart. We worship with body and mind. Again, we are embodied souls. We just can't understand Romans 12 without understanding Romans 1. We are the imago Dei, the image of God. According to Herman Bavink, the image of God is the human similarity to God whereby we display in our own creaturely way 
the highest perfection of God. We are God's image with respect to all our existence in the soul with all its capabilities, thinking, feeling, willing, and also in the body. We are the whole package. So what's the outcome of this mercy-laden sacrificial worship? This is what we sacrifice for, to prove or discern the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's the fruit. When we are tested, we get to prove the will of God. The result of our mind's transformation when tested is new movement, a good, acceptable, and perfect movement. So what does that look like? Let's look at one of the most profound acts of sacrificial worship we find in the Gospels. In fact, Jesus said that because of it, whenever the Gospel is shared, this particular woman's sacrifice will be remembered. In John 12, we read, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So Mary washed and anointed Jesus' feet during the week before Passover. Then Jesus washed the disciples' feet on Thursday, Passover. Now after Jesus did that, Who there washed Jesus' feet? Trick question. No one. Jesus went to the cross that next day with the powerful fragrance of spikenard still on his feet and lower legs. Let's back up a minute and talk about the content of that alabaster box. What is nard or spike nard? Also called musk root. It's a class of aromatic amber-colored oil derived from a flower in the honeysuckle family, which grows in the Himalayas of Nepal, India. It's got two uses classically. Song of Solomon discusses it as a lover's perfume enhancing the joy of the wedding night. It's a musky scent that is life-giving, beautifying, and delightful. But it's also used for embalming, covering a deceased person with a pleasant aromatic. Mary, who clearly listened to Jesus well, was anointing his body for burial. He says as much. She, using her hair in humility, smelled of Christ and he of her. Union, intermingled, such powerful imagery. So, 
He still smells of her, of this perfume, while he's on the cross as it wafts up to his nostrils. Smell, by the way, is the number one memory trigger. Were you aware of that? Jesus, we are told, endured the cross for the joy set before him. Now, stay with me. I submit this memory trigger, this wedding night aromatic, reminded Christ of his bride, his joy, his wedding night, the marriage supper of the Lamb, yet to be. It reminded him of us, people, his bride, us, his beloved. We got him through it. That scent helped keep us in his memory, and that allowed him to endure the cross. Her sacrifice that cost a year's wages, that potent picture of the gospel, had eternal ramifications. Us, here and now. She loved him. She gave to him. He served him. Just like Romans 12 says, his mercy allows for us. When our alabaster hearts are broken open, we get to worship, and when we worship, the life-giving aroma of the gospel permeates the world around us and lives are impacted. The rest of this chapter is what that can look like. Then Paul actually gives a list of servers, givers, and lovers in chapter 16. So what, by God's mercy, do you get to sacrifice? How do you get to live and give and love and serve? What is it that gives you life that God desires that you give to others? How do you get to prove the will of God in your community. What is good and acceptable and perfect? Sacrifice is more than symbolic. Now it's loving. It continues in the life of the church through the gifts of the Spirit. Bodies here is plural, but sacrifice is singular. We are united in our sacrifice by using our gifts for the benefit of the body. In other words, we do this as the body of Christ. Bodies are now honorable for sacrifice. They are no longer to be used for selfish gains or immorality. We are either conformed or transformed. There is no middle ground. We are either being squeezed into the mold of the world through lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, or we're being new from the inside out through worship-informed service to others. The rest of the chapter, indeed the rest of all of Romans through chapter 16, is the fruit of this. It reveals what love and service look like. It's the glorious description of transformation. So in closing, recall that we looked to Moses in the beginning. So let's revisit him here. 
Moses wanted God to show him his glory. So God gave him his goodness, his mercy, and his name. How'd that work out for Moses? Moses sacrificed his whole life, but after Moses disobeyed and hit the rock twice in the desert, he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. So when did he get there? You know? How did Moses get to Canaan, to the land of Israel? I'm not talking about his bones. His whole body. When did he arrive? John 1.18 states, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Too bad Moses wasn't able to finally see the face of God. Oh, wait a minute. Recall the Mount of Transfiguration? With Elijah, there he got to meet Jesus. There he got to see the personification of the rock himself on the mountain. It was better than if he'd gone across the Jordan himself with the Israelites. He found mercy. He saw goodness. He got his name, Jesus, Yeshua, God our salvation, sweet redemption for this prophet seeing the better prophet. Moses finally saw him face to face. Mercy took him from the mount of the law to the mount of redemption. And to us, the same. Because of the cross, we receive his mercy, his goodness, his name. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom so we also get to sacrifice that light burden. We get to worship, which is how we were designed. We get to prove the will of God, living out Jesus' name to the world around us because he is worthy, good, acceptable, and perfect. We get to bring thy kingdom come to thy will be done. We get to, because of his mercy, which is new every morning, we get to, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, like the prophet of old, we say, please show us your glory. Let your mercy and compassion pass through us because of your name on us through Jesus' work on the cross. Let us love, give, and serve those around us all to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.